You know, Pastor Mark did a fantastic job. For those of you who don't know what we're doing right now, we have been going through this process as a church for the last five years. For five years, it's a five-year plan. This is year four of that five-year plan of going through the Bible together. And what we do together is we read the Word of God together for six days during the week. And then when Sunday comes, whether it's me or Mark or somebody else, we preach from those passages that we have all studied together. So this week we're in Job, so uh, Job chapters 12 through 17. How many of you read those chapters? Woohoo, look at that. That is awesome, okay? Job is awesome to get into so far, isn't it? I mean, it's been great. And um, I want to say Mark did just a phenomenal job last week as we started getting into the dialogue of, of Job's three friends and Job himself. And he spoke specifically on Eliphaz, and, and he did something that I think was just incredible. He took that understanding that we should do with all of Job's friends, because we know Job's friends, though they're there to comfort him, they end up not being very good comforters, and they end up saying things that are not right about God during that time, because God, at the end of Job, spoiler alert, but Mark already spoiled it, uh, does not commend them for the things that they had said. And therefore, when we read of Job's three friends, what we have to do is exactly what Pastor Mark did last week. We have to compare it to the Word of God. We have to compare it to the other places in the Word of God to find out, is this, does this line up with the Word of God or is there error here? Because some of those things might be right or might be right in one sense. And as Pastor Mark showed last week, there were many areas that were wrong from Eliphaz's um, condemnation, if you will, uh, concerning the things that he was saying to Job. Well, this week, we get to read a whole lot of Job's responses. As a matter of fact, we had seven chapters this week. Six of the seven chapters were Job's responses to his friends. And we're going to actually look at Job chapter 12. It happens right after chapter 11, where one of his friends, Zophar, turns around and, and basically says this, God judges people according to what they do, and therefore you are getting this sin, you're getting this judgment because sin is in your life. If you would just turn around and do the right things and give God the glory and God the praise for what is going on, everything will get better for you, Job. This is what he's responding to. And Job mentions a lot of things uh, within the context of his passages of wanting an audience with God. But in Job chapter 12, he actually hits on some of the characteristics of God, and that's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open Job chapter 12, and we're going to read the whole thing and then kind of break it down together. And then Job replied, doubtless you are the people and wisdom will die with you. But I have a mind as well as you, and I'm not inferior to you. Who does not know all these things? I've become a laughingstock to my friends, so I called upon God and he answered. A mere laughingstock, though righteous and blameless. Men at ease have contempt for misfortune as the fate of those whose feet are slipping. The tents of marauders are undisturbed and those who provoke God are secure. Those who carry their God in their hands. But ask the animals and they will teach you. Or the birds of the air and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will teach you. Or let the fish of the sea inform you. Which of all of these does not know that the hand of God has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. It does not, does not the ear test words as the tongue tastes food? Is not wisdom found among the aged? 
Does not long life bring understanding? To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are his. What he tears down cannot be rebuilt. The man he imprisons cannot be released. If he holds back the waters, there's drought. If he then lets them loose, they devastate the land. To him belong strength and victory. Both deceived and deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped and makes fools of judges. He takes off the shackles put on by kings and he ties a loincloth around their waist. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows men long established. He silences the lips of trusted advisors and he takes away the discernment of elders. He pours contempt on nobles and disarms the mighty. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings deep shadows into light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. He deprives the leaders of the earth of their reason. He sends them wandering through a trackless waste. They grope in darkness with no light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. What we get from this passage of scripture are are three things in particular that we're looking at. Uh, we start in verse 13 where, where uh, Job talks about to God belong wisdom and power. And then the rest of the chapter talks about his wisdom and his power. These are things that whereas Job's friends spoke falsely about God, Job speaks truly about God. And at the end, he's commended for those things that he has defended God with. There are other things that God calls him to account with, but this isn't one of them. And so we can learn something from this passage concerning the power and wisdom of God. We look at verse verse, verse 15. It says, if he holds the waters back, there's drought, and if he lets them loose, they devastate the land. We see many times in the scripture how, how God brings about drought as a punishment for his people. We look at the times uh, during the times of Elijah where there were three and a half years where there was no water at all. There was not going to be any rain on the ground. And all of this was to bring glory to God. We can look back to Genesis chapter 6 and how God brought forth the floodgates of the earth to flood the entire world and to bring judgment. Because power and wisdom are His. But it's not just in the natural world that we're looking at when we see that. If we look in verse 16... It says, to him belongs strength and victory. Both deceived and deceiver are his. Wait a second, deceived and deceiver? What does that mean? That's a strange charge to give God, isn't it? Well, it must be noted that what it's talking about in this passage of Scripture is that God doesn't cause a person to deceive, but God can use it. I'll give you a perfect example. At the end of the, uh, of the book of 1 Kings, we see Ahab. And Ahab is an evil king of Israel who's kind of aligned himself every once in a while with the righteous king of uh, Judah, who's Jehoshaphat at the time. And they're coming together, and they're going to attack Ramoth-Gilead. And they're going to attack this to take back land that belonged to them from the king of Aram. And as they're getting, making their preparations, Jehoshaphat says, hey, we need to inquire of the Lord to be able to do this. And so 
Ahab brings all of his prophets. These aren't prophets of the Lord. They're his personal prophets that have come here. They're basically yes men, okay? That's all they are. Ahab, you want to do that? Yeah, you go, man. You do that. They're like, you're going to be successful in all that you do. In all that you do, you're going to be successful. Jehoshaphat, recognizing that these are not the Lord's prophets, says, is there not a prophet of the Lord to speak to? And Ahab says, well, there's one, but he always speaks bad things about me. His name's Micaiah. Well, don't say such bad things about the Lord's anointed. Just bring him in. So I bring him in. And Micaiah first begins to mock. Says, oh, go, go. You're going to be victorious. Go. (laughs) Do it. Do it. Just go. And Ahab holds him and says, how many times do I have to tell you that I must make you swear on the name of the Lord? It's a way of making him tell the truth in the name of what did God tell you to tell me? And Micaiah gives this account and he says, in the council of heaven, there, there are these spirits that are there and saying, hey, how are you going to make Ahab fall? For I planned disaster for him. And so the different angels came forward and said, there's this one plan, there's this another plan. And then this one angel comes forward and says, I will put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And they will lead him to his death. And God says, go, you will be successful. Kind of sounds like the whole thing with Job, doesn't it? At, at the beginning of Job, we see, you know, Satan is, is there saying, God, skin for skin. He said, go, do it, you know. It's kind of what, what we see in this passage of Scripture. And so he says, and you will be successful. So you put a lying tongue in your 400 prophets. They're telling you a lie. They have said, see, he doesn't say anything good about me. Lock him up and send him into prison till I get back. And he yells out, if he ever comes back, the word of the Lord has not spoken through my mouth. And they went and attacked anyway. And of course, it cost Ahab his life. Did God cause the deceiving? No. He was already ready for that deception. God used those who were willing to deceive according to his purpose. That's how good God is. God can use all of that. The bad stuff that happens in your life is not necessarily good in and of itself. However, God can use it because of his wisdom and his power. This is what it's talking about. Both deceiver and deceived are his. And we see an example of that with Ahab, don't we? In Ahab, we saw God's plan work perfectly through the deceiver and the deceived. Right? Exactly as he planned, and yet he didn't cause it. Because God is so wise and so powerful. Again, we see this in Job's life. Job has lost everything, right? God gave, God took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Received no blame whatsoever. Totally understood. This was not of God's hand. God allowed it. Shall we not accept trouble from God as well as good things? Why? Because of his wisdom and power, he can work good to all who trust in him, right? Even in the bad circumstances. This is what he's relying upon. We continue on and go down to verse 23. 
And it says he makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them in much the same way that we see. We see the blessing of God through the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Oftentimes, he will use the unrighteous countries around them to be a punishment. We see marauders and the Philistines and raiders who would come in when God's people broke the covenant of God, were not following him. He allowed them to become oppressed by other people, by his will, because of their disobedience. He said he raised up the king of Assyria. We read in Isaiah and Jeremiah that the king of Assyria in Isaiah was raised up for the punishment of the people of Israel. God used them, even though they were an evil kingdom. He did the same thing with the king of Babylon in the destruction of Jerusalem and the final penalty and casting all the people out. He raised that, those people up and said that Nebuchadnezzar was his servant. Though Nebuchadnezzar really didn't follow the God of the Bible. He caused Babylon to rise. He caused Assyria to rise. And then, in the same breath, we read in Isaiah, before Babylon has ever come in, that he also passes judgment on them. You've been raised, and I'm going to judge you, because you're trying to do this this way. I am using you as a nation for my ends. You're being raised up for my ends. He tells Pharaoh, I have raised you up for this purpose, that my glory would be seen through you. This is the one who was oppressing Israel, not letting the Israelites go. And he's also the one who paid the price as a result of putting his heart hardened against God. But God's wisdom and power is so great that he can use what would be, quote-unquote, man-made circumstances that would be used for evil things for his greater purpose. That's how great and powerful God is. And the best example of that, obviously, is Christ. We look at Jesus, he died on the cross for you and me. And even Peter says, you did this by evil men. He was delivered to you and he was crucified, but God raised him from the dead to accomplish his will. So whether we're looking at deceiver, deceived nations that might not be righteous, being raised up or thrown down, God uses them to accomplish his purpose because of his wisdom and his power. That should give us a lot of solace concerning the situation we're in right now, shouldn't it? We're in kind of a weird area right now, aren't we? Weird times. Everybody feels it. Everybody's been feeling it for a year. Say we're tired of talking about it, but we keep talking about it. It's so true, isn't it? And and I think it's along this line that the third thing is, is something that Job is seeking from God. He mentions it here. He talks about it here. And we're kind of experiencing it to a certain extent here. And, and this is what he seeks to find, but it's it's hard to grasp. It's the justice of God. If we go back to Job 12 and verse 6, it's an interesting verse. It says, the tents of marauders are undisturbed and those who provoke God are secure. Those who carry their God in their hands. The tents of marauders are undisturbed. In other words, they're getting away with it. 
And this is somebody who's been personally affected by it. Remember chapter 1, this, when Satan is said, take away his stuff, take away his family, take away all this, and he'll curse you to your face. He uses the Sabians who come in and take his oxes and his donkeys in chapter 1. And he uses the Chaldeans further on to take his camels and to slay all of his servants except for the one who came and talked to him. Job understands about the marauders getting away from it. He's living it right now. And you're going to hear more and more of this talk about the just, if I could just come before God. He, his friends are accusing him, but, but he's grappling with this idea of justice. Marauders seem to like they're getting away with it. And I think it puts us in a very dangerous territory. I think that's where we're at right now. We are, as a, a, a people, as a nation, there are two different types of factions that are going on right now. You have the political side of things where you're either over here and you're progressive. I don't want to go Republican, Democrat. Let's just say progressive, conservative. Okay? So you're progressive on one end, you're conservative on the other. And you're being pulled in different directions there. And there's a, there's a culture war that is raging right now. But beyond that, we have not just that, but on the other end, we have what would be considered, we're hearing this more and more, the elites of our society, those in the quote-unquote ruling class who seem like they get away with everything. And then there's the common man who has to deal with that. If the same thing happened to us, there would be bad repercussions for us. We feel it, don't we? We've been, we've been living this for a little while right now. And, and that tension in both of these directions, which are not the same, threatens to have us to try and take justice into our own hands. We saw it this summer, didn't we? No matter what you think of, of the situations of the individuals that were involved in the police shootings and, and whatnot that happened over the summer, here's what, what I'm concerned about that happened over the summer and is happening right now. And the people of God, no matter what, uh, what your persuasion, are being swept into it. And it's a scary thing. It's a truly scary thing. So the police riots start after a video is taken. And the problem with our, our online culture right now is we, we give a video. An eight-minute video. And we think we know everything because it was on video. It was on video in multiple angles. And in two different languages. And all of a sudden, we've all become experts on exactly what happened right there because it was like we were there, but we weren't there. And what we perceive, it may very well have been an injustice to somebody because of this polarization that I just talked about in these two different ways and how things are perceived People decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the law into our own hands. We're going to go down and we're going to protest, loot, pillage, and kill under the name of wanting justice.
Some places are still doing that to this day. Some cities never stop from the summer. All because we're worried about injustice. Like I said, I don't care what side of the coin you are on this. I've had another one recently stop up and, and again... You may, I may have a whole group of people in here saying, yeah, that's true, because it, we might fall all on the same side of how we think about this. But, you know, over this last week, we had something else that happened. We had a whole GameStop thing. How many of you saw the GameStop story? Heard about the game? It, it had a phenomenon all on its own. And for those of you who don't know what happened, I'm going to explain it. You know why? Because I called it a financial advisor so that I would get all of this right. And if you have investments, you should call your financial advisor. No, excuse me. Um, so, um, so I talked about this idea because the, the whole upsetness that started this was this idea of hedge funds. And my understanding from my brief conversation, and I want to do my best to do it justice, is that a hedge fund is different than a lot of other investments because they don't, they don't fall under the regulations that all other investments do. So you can pretty much do what you want with hedge funds. And what a lot of people do with hedge funds, and what a lot of companies end up doing, not all of them do, is they start doing what's calling short sales. And these short sales are where you are trying, basically what you're doing is you're betting on the downfall of a company. That's what you're doing. Those who think that this is an unjust way of doing things think that it's a type of market manipulation or a way in which the rich get richer by preying on those who are going to be unfortunate because of the market. The person I asked, I, I asked him because he's a believer in Christ. I say, said, do you think that this is something a Christian should be involved in? He said, no, because you're not investing in anything. You're only investing in the failure of something in order for you to profit. Nobody should really be involved with that. doesn't matter if it's legal or not. Abortion's legal. You shouldn't be involved in that either, right? Just because you can do it doesn't make it right in God's eyes. So a group of Reddit people got wind of the, that, that investors were starting to talk and hedge fund uh, uh, people were starting to say that GameStop was going to go down. Because they weren't, everybody's buying stuff online and therefore their stock is going to probably go down this year. It would be a great place to put in your, your head fudge. And they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to stick it to the man. And here's how we're going to stick it to the man. Right? We're going to go buy and inflate the stock. And so they started buying. And so now all these short sell people are now seeing their stock that they were hoping to buy at a cheaper price. Now going to be really, really more expensive. To the point where they shut everything down so that people could get those profit loss margins down, right? Let me tell you what I saw from Christians online. What I saw from Christians uh, in the news who were talking, saying, I'm a Christian and I've got skin in this game. Yeah, we, we showed it to those millionaires and billionaires that they're living by different rules. And then they shut everything down to prove us right. And we're so glad that we hurt those millionaires and billionaires. It's all over the place online. 
somehow if you have money, it's okay to hurt somebody? Right? I, I did not read that any place in the Word of God. Did you? Even if you think that they got their, their money from unjust means. Did you guys read that somewhere in the Word of God? Did I miss that? As a people of God who are known as Jesus Christ, even if you think it is an injustice, you stepping into that is not justice, it's vengeance. And according to the Word of God, vengeance is His. Because when He is vengeful, it is just. When we are vengeful, it is sinful. I want you guys to think about this for just a moment if you've had these thoughts yourself because whether you're on the BLM side of things or whether you're on the the GameStop hedge fund side of things, you just want to stick it to the man. Do you realize what you were doing? You were using other people and abusing other people so that you can get your sense of justice. Either way, it's wrong. And the ironic thing is, when we read about Job, it never says anything about what happened to those raiders and marauders that came in and pillaged him. He didn't go off and have revenge on them. He didn't go and slaughter all their families. You don't see anything like that. You see a reference that says, God, it seems like they're getting away with it. That's all you see. He's struggling with the idea of justice but he's not willing to take it into his hands. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Very similar situation. How are we supposed to respond when we see stuff like that happening in our culture? Nobody's saying that injustice doesn't occur. It does. What are we supposed to do? While not the exact same situation, they were having disputes within their congregation among believers. Some of them believed that they were being cheated, lied to, stolen from, whatever. Verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if, you're, and if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint judges, even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to the law against another, and this in front of non-believers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. I have watched in amazement and horror online as our society begins to justify taking many who claim the name of Jesus Christ with them to justify violence, to justify theft, to justify the destruction of somebody else's life based on how much money they got, how, how they got that money, 
how something was done wrong to them and therefore they have the right to do something like this. We don't see Job do that and we don't see the counsel of Paul line up with that either. Two things are mentioned in this passage that Paul talks about. Number one is this, when these types of injustices happen, you know where you're supposed to come? To fellow believers in Christ who are mature, who can sit down and go through the word of God and say, what is the right way to handle this situation? We're warned about doing these things in front of non-believers. How many of you, and I don't know because I didn't try to write down names and stuff. I was just dismayed over what I saw posted. How many of you have posted online in front of non-believers that you are so glad that people got ripped off? I'm so glad we stuck it to those millionaires and billionaires. They deserved it. Never mind that they might own companies and that might affect people who had nothing to do with that, right? And you know what's so funny is the pawns of all of this are the GameStop people who actually invested in their company. What about them? What do you think is going to happen with those people? Because both sides decided to use them. I can say the same thing with the BLM. Is that how we're supposed to act as believers in Christ? Nobody's asked me about, hey, this crazy stuff that's happened this week. How would God say we should deal with that? I'm telling you now, but nobody's asked me. Because I've been dismayed on a number of people saying that they're just happy that this happened. Is that really how we deal with injustice within the body of Christ? I pray to God it's not true. Seriously. Because look at the next verses. Verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor uh, adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Ten categories of people, he says in that passage, three or four of them deal with the idea of greed and theft. Thieves, the greedy, the slanderers, and the swindlers. And they won't inherit the kingdom of God. You know why? Because when God does justice, it's just. And when we try to do justice, it's vengeance. And we're not supposed to take the place of God. Why not be cheated? What what a strange thing. That's the other thing that Paul talks about. Why not be wronged? But instead, you do the exact same things and you think you will walk away unscathed. Instead of trusting the justice and judgment of God. We already know this place isn't going to be fair to us. Right? Don't we? Haven't we been reading that throughout the word? And all of a sudden we're expecting something different? 
We have a hope that's not of this world, in this world. It's through Jesus Christ who saved you and I, though we didn't deserve it. But now these people deserve it? What have we got what we deserved? Think about that for a moment. And yet we are ready to pass judgment on all of that. I'm all for trying to stamp out injustice. But injustice as it pertains to the hedge fund thing is to bring it under the same regulations that everything else is already under. So it's fair and equitable. That's what we should be working toward, correct? Not punishing some other people who had nothing to do with it. Or gaming the system as we would call it. And the BLM riots and everything and all the injustice that happened, every single one of those things should be investigated. And you know what? If it is deemed that they had done something wrong, then they should reform it. That's how you deal with that. But you don't take justice into your own hands. Would anybody call what happened this summer and still continues to happen justice? And we're getting sucked into it. Because of all of that polarization, left and right, Democrat, Republican, progressive, conservative, elite and common man, as if it gives us justifications as believers in Jesus Christ to pass judgment, not based upon the world word, but based upon the world standards. Job did well. He complained about it. I would too. But he left the justice in God's hands. And wouldn't take it himself. Paul tells us that we're supposed to do the same. This is something that Job is struggling through. We'll continue to see that struggle. Throughout the book of Job. But we're dealing with that now. And we don't even realize it. People need Jesus. He paid the punishment for you and me and all who would call on his name. Not a single one of us deserve heaven. And it's hard for us to speak in that tone of voice when we're wanting everybody else to get their just desserts. That's got to be left in the hands of God, even if it wrongs us. And for those of you who are doing that online, stop. You're sullying the name of Christ because you are asking for somebody else to be hurt instead of somebody else to come to know Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Wherever you're at in this walk with Jesus, we have a mission, and our mission is to share Christ with the world around us. He is our hope. He is our salvation. In this world, we're going to have all types of trouble. We already know that. The world's going to hate us, going to mock us, and when they hate and mock, we bless. Pray for your enemies. Do good to those who abuse you and hurt you. That's our command from Christ so that we might show Jesus to the world around us. By all means, speak up against injustice, but don't take that out on somebody else and don't praise God that somebody else finally got theirs. We want them to come to know Jesus because you know what? That's redemptive. When we do it, it's just vengeful. And that we believe him in the hands of God and we trust that God, if he wants to punish, if they never come to Christ, they will be 
rightfully punished before his throne. And it will be just. And it will be right. And we won't have to worry about it. You know why? Because the God I serve is so wise and powerful that even the bad stuff that is happening here, he can use for his good. And we would do well to remember that as believers in Christ. Would you stand with me? Some of you are struggling with that sense of justice. Can we leave it in God's hand? Can we recognize that God did justice for us on the cross and paid the price for our sin? And that everybody that we run up against who is unredeemed is going to be a sinner too? And they need Jesus. They're already under his judgment. They need Jesus. We are supposed to hold out his hope. That might mean we're wronged. That might mean we're cheated. That might mean the world doesn't treat us right. We were never promised otherwise. That was Job. That's what he's finding out. But he's holding his hope and his justice in God's hands. Let's do the same. God, I want to thank you for today. And God, I I thank you that you are so wise, that you are so powerful, Lord. And that you are just. And you are good. And you have asked us to carry the banner of Christ to a lost and hurting world. And sometimes we're shocked by the evil that we see. But God, you're asking us not to partake in that. You're asking us to trust you even if it costs us because of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. Help us, dear Heavenly Father. Forgive us if we've, if we've jumped in and made unrighteous judgments, Lord, and haven't spread the name of Jesus Christ among those who are not believers in Christ. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, to stay on mission and to realize the grace that you've given us and how you use even evil things for your purposes because that's how we came to know Jesus and how you used an evil action to put him up on the cross and die for the, on the cross for our sins, Lord. God, I want mercy, not judgment for my enemies. Dear Heavenly Father, for those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, that they may come to know Jesus Christ. I don't care, be they political, be they financial, be they relational. Dear Heavenly Father, I want my enemies, O Lord. I pray for them right now that they might know Jesus Christ, that they might be transformed by your Spirit, by the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, drawing them to Jesus and changing them from the inside out forever, bringing restoration, redemption, to a life, dear Heavenly Father, that we see gone astray. May that be our heart's cry as we see the injustices in this world. May we cry out in a righteous way, the way that you want us to, not the world wants us to. Not through vengeance, Lord, but through justice. Through Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.